I am the doctor, this is my section. Earth is under my protection. Planet of birth is Gallifrey. I've got two hearts, your life is safe. Run into the master raw messy. Come on, Alonzo. Alonzo. I am a time lord. No, I'm not rich. Twelve bodies are men. Now it's time for a switch. Don't look like that. I'm in great health. You were expecting someone else. Regeneration. Oh, such fun. When I say run, run, run. What's up, my boy? Peace and sanity. Sorry, I must dash. Reverse the Polarity. Sometimes I'm north, but always a limey, wibbly, wobbly, timey, wimey. Jump in the TARDIS, go for a ride, it's bigger on the inside. Exploring all of time and space, oh, what's that? Exterminate. Cyberman or Daleks, maybe. Would you like a jelly baby? Time's ticking, we'd best go, a new adventure. Geronimo! I am fantastic, so are you best come with me, I'm Doctor Who. Welcome to a brand new episode of D4WH. I am your host, the man you call the nerd. He was born on another world. I'm Adam O'Sullivan, joined as always by my co-host, I doubt England is ready for this, it's Nakia Schutt. England is never ready for this, I can tell you. <laughs> You're doing your never. best though. I am doing my best. I can't get to England. Every time someone sneezes, they lock the borders down here. Please welcome our guests. You'll like this bit. It's Anne Pennsylvania and Sam Pennsylvania. Hello. Hi. Hey, guys. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having us. We're, we're super excited. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Well, like we do with all new guests, would you like to go through your history with Doctor Who? Sure. So Sam and I started watching Doctor Who together, actually, when Sam was a bit younger. Like eight? Yeah, like eight. And I was a bit nervous as a mum that some of the episodes were too scary. It's not scary. Doctor Who's not scary. Sam, I absolutely agree with you. I started, well, of course I started with the classics, but I started watching it about five and I've never found it scary. (laughs) Well, I found it really scary. And in fact, I couldn't watch any of the Sleeping Angel, the Angel episodes, like while I was alone in the house. And so Sam actually helped helped me <laughs> to deal with my fear of so we're first of all we should say we're second gen fans yep. we were not raised on the first generation but but we I wasn't really, alive yeah Sam wasn't alive and I was American and it was <laughs> you know that That's was back true. when I was American <laughs> no need to apologize Anne no yeah, need to it's apologize all right. <laughs> I'm second generation as well I only I only started watching the only first gen we have here is is Nakia who's been watching it since she was a kid yeah, I'm like a hundred, so yeah. <laughs> Time travel your, Was yourself. Was one of your teachers in the first generation, though? Yeah, one of my teachers at Shakespeare and Company, uh, mm. Tina Packer, I think – Ended up in an episode that was lost and then found or something. Really? Oh, wow. wow. That's exciting. That's the story. Wow. So that's how Sam and I got into it. Yeah, we, we had a lot of fun and, and we haven't watched it in a while. So it was really great to come back to the episode. Yeah, we've been trying to get you guys on for a while. Yeah. It's exciting to have you on. Since the Shakespeare Code, actually. The Shakespeare, oh, that one. Yeah, that I one. like that one. <laughs> and so, so, Sam, do any of your friends watch Doctor Who or is it just just you and your mum? I would say, yes, yeah, some of my friends watch Doctor Who. Um, a few of my friends in my friend group keep trying to convince one of our other friends to all get together and watch the latest special, Jodie Whittaker. Ooh. But, yeah, I know a fair few people who watch it. I have a my best friend. 
She used to watch it like obsessively. Uh, she had like TARDIS earrings and she, came, she had a themed birthday party where she came as the TARDIS. Oh my God. It was awesome. She had this really cute dress. She came as like the TARDIS <laughs> in human form. Like remember that episode. I need to meet her. Yeah. I'm actually seeing her this afternoon, but yeah. And Sam was River Song, and I of course <sighs> peeked out totally on the gift. We went to Spotlight and we did River Song's diary as a, as a birthday present. Oh my God. That's oh. amazing. Amazing. Cool. Yeah, it was awesome. I'm inviting you to every single one of my birthdays then. <laughs> so yeah, shout out to Parker. <laughs> it's good. I, li- I like to see people as obsessed as I am. Yeah. The worst purchase I ever made was the screwdriver, sonic screwdriver earrings, and everybody thought I had penises in my <laughs> earrings. <so laughs> I've never worn them since. <laughs> now you only exclusively wear your penis earrings, is that correct? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> Yeah, let them think whatever they they need to. Exactly. Fantastic. All right, let's get started. Our episode today is The Family of Blood, Series 3, Episode 9, written by Paul Cornell and directed by Charles Palmer. Originally aired on the BBC Saturday, June 2nd, 2007. We start, as we always do, with a short synopsis for those who haven't watched the episode but we definitely recommend you do. Yeah, boo if you haven't. The family of blood have revealed themselves and they will stop at nothing to find a Time Lord, no matter who they kill. John Smith must make a terrible decision. Will he open the watch that contains the consciousness of the Doctor to save everyone? Or will he remain John Smith and try for a happy human life? Boo. I didn't realise I wasn't born yet when this aired. Yeah. That's a long time ago. Oh, my God. It's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. Yeah. You think about, even for me, watching the very first Who's, the first three Doctors, I wasn't born. And it's amazing to to watch them and then go, oh, my God. So, yeah, I just cannot believe that this show has been back on for this long. Yeah. That's what amazes me because it still feels like yesterday. Yeah. And I know that there's a lot, you know, like I, I remember when, when Jody became the doctor, there was so much back and forth and diehard fans. And I just love seeing the evolution of the storyline and, and how they have to deal with the plot lines to have more reincarnations and stuff. I love, I love all that stuff. I like, I like the going back that they did with Jody. Like there was like once where he got extra lives, but I like the going back on that of like, no, he actually had them all along. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Me, me too. And Sam and, and a lot of people have really poo-pooed this timeless child stuff, but yeah. it's perfect because this is a show that the canon makes no sense half the time. Yeah. But that's what's gorgeous about yeah. it. I love it. And can you imagine as a writer how you have to retrofit all that stuff? Like mm-hmm. that is some intense. I mean, you know, there's there's folks that know the blueprints of, you know, the enterprise and blah, blah, blah. But this is like serious, serious writing. And what a, what a surprise that just shortly after the BBC had to go through the crap of like, oh, no, we need to give the Doctor 13 more lives. They were like, hey, Chris Chibnall, anything, any way you could just get around that so we don't have to do that again? He's like, yeah, I'll sort it out. Don't worry no. about <laughs> I I do like the idea of the timeless child and stuff, and I love Jodie Whittaker's acting. Oh yeah, oh. oh she's fantastic. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Jodie's writer. I'm with you. What was with the paper towel monsters? We were going to end up talking about Jodie, but I'm really keen because Sam and I did we we rewatched the episodes, and this is actually my favorite episode because I'm a big David Tennant fan, and I think this. 
this episode absolutely, you know, gives a platform to his acting skill. And I love it for that reason. Yeah. I remembered I liked these episodes, but what rewatching them, it's like, yeah, these are some of my favorite. These are amazing episodes. It's insane how good they are. They absolutely are. And I was a big Martha fan. And this reminded me why I liked Martha. Yeah. Because she got nothing from him, but she just kept showing up. I love that. Yep. But yes, love, love, love Jody. Yeah. At the annual dance, the family of blood are holding both Martha Jones and Nurse Redfern hostage. They want John Smith to pick, pick who they will kill first. They're hoping that by breaking John Smith's heart, it will force him to change back into a Time Lord. Latimer opens the watch, distracting the family of blood and letting Martha to turn the tables. Martha threatens son of mine and father of mine who states, this is all for you, so you may live forever. Uh, Now I know I'm going to get flack for this, but what exactly is the family of blood's plan? Do they want the body of a Time Lord or just the essence of the Time Lord? Just the essence, I think, the lives. Huh. That's what I got. So they're not going to inhabit the – because I originally thought they were going to inhabit the body of the Time Lord. Yeah, me too. No, I thought they'd stay in the bodies that they've got now and just bring in the lives. I don't know. Yeah, I thought uh, – that was kind of weird for me too because I was like, how is this going to work? Are they going to trade? Is like one of them going to go into – an egg or something and then they'll just trade who gets to be the doctor well isn't there a point where they only say the boy's gonna live forever yeah the father says this is all for you basically yeah that's true and they make it sound like it's just for him yeah like he's just gonna take the body of the time lord because currently the time lord's a human in body and in mind so they need him to physically be a time lord even if he has whatever but then later on he gives it he gives them the watch and they they open the watch and they're like oh it's all ours and it's like but he's not a time lord he's not in a time lord body yeah and they all sniff to try and take it in yeah it's a bit confusing yeah i'm trying to think i've read the book and i can't remember it's probably clear in the book but it's a while since i read it it's a good read actually maybe they haven't thought that far ahead (laughs) (laughs) you know the family they're they're a certain kind of smart but you know they're they're laughing (laughs) other ways do you think that there's going to be like a family feud where they go, who gets to do it? That's right. You know, they only live for like three months, so yeah. they they don't really. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's too far ahead. Because it's like they're in a human body, so if they have the lifespan of the body, then, you know, 80 years is still a lot longer than, than three months. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Although I'd give it to the son because his acting is fantastic. So yeah. I think he should have it. Yeah, I loved his acting. Yeah, he's yeah. creepy. I also like the little girl, though. Yeah, can we talk about the little girl? Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. She's good. So we looked up some some tropes about girls with red balloons, and that appears in Doctor Who. And, you know, of course, there's the, the famous Banksy painting, blah, blah, blah. But we couldn't figure out, like, what is with the red balloon? Like, she carries that freaking red balloon everywhere. It's not attached to her. Why can't she just, like, let it go? Yeah, yeah. why doesn't somebody just pop it? I would. <laughs> <laughs> just run up behind her, pop it. Because later on she goes, she infiltrates the school, and it's like, you know you'd be less conspicuous if you didn't have a red balloon with you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> But here's my estimate. Like, you remember the doctor dances where the mask, they, the, the nanites thought the mask was part of the, the little boy? Uh-huh. That's, that's what I was going to say. Mm. Maybe they thought that, oh, this, this red balloon is just part of this little girl. Like, some humans just have a red balloon, you know? Oh. 
Like it's a genetic mutation and yeah. it would look even more suspicious if they cut the red balloon off. Yeah, if you pop the red balloon, it'd be like cutting off someone's arm or something. Yeah, I like that explanation because that actually <laughs> also explains how it is that they have access to helium <laughs> yeah. <laughs> during yes. that time yeah. to, to pump up a latex balloon. Did they like, have helium? I don't know. That did they? I think is they that... did. Oh, that that's a that's a question I didn't even look up. Oh, wow. Is that anachronistic? Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the sort of thing I would normally look up. I feel I feel devastated. That I, I mean, didn't. Where, where did she get the balloon? There didn't seem to be a carnival on anywhere. Did she just always <laughs> with the balloon? What's going on with her? Yeah. She's very good, but she has a great little nasty look on her face she when does. she does a few things. And so she kills her parents. So so she kills her parents. So what's the deal? Like they make her, you know, they take, take the family takes over her and yeah. she, while she's got a balloon, this is what we know. They take her over while she's got a balloon and then she kills her parents with while, the balloon. Yeah, with the balloon. I love the idea that she kills them with the balloon. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine yeah. her just like taking a shower trying to wash off all the yeah. blood. Just like <laughs> with the balloon. <laughs> Very hard to sleep at night, isn't it, when you're going to hold the damn balloon? <laughs> I think it's actually one of the creepiest things. I imagine she gets covered in blood and she's like, oh, I, I need to get changed. And she goes to the little girl's cupboard and opens it up and it's all just the same dress. And she's like, damn it! <laughs> no, but each dress comes with a balloon. Maybe they are... Yeah, yeah, endless supply of balloons. It's like it's basically like her skin. I think this is actually one of the the most overlooked parts of this episode. <laughs> yeah, it it is a strange thing that the it was only last week when we were talking about it. I thought, yeah, why does she keep the balloon? You're right. You're sneaking around. Everyone goes, uh, she's got a red balloon. Oh no, that is. You know, it, it's not a great disguise, is it? It's- Freaking Lucy with her little red balloon. Who only eats one-handed because she can't let go of the bloody balloon. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was funny. Okay, so uh, helium was officially discovered in 1895. So that makes sense. And rubber balloons were even earlier. They were first recorded in 1824. But how much money does her family have to be able to afford a helium rubber balloon? Like, they don't look rich. Yeah. But she's wa- she's walking down the road by herself. Her family isn't there. She has to go home and kill her family. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's terrible parenting. No, it's all the time. Just let- letting her out. But we get an explanation as to what happens to Lucy's parents, right? We can cu- sort of agree. Maybe, maybe the farmer, like, doesn't have a lot of family. Jenny, you know, maybe she has the, the tragic backstory where it's like her family are all dead. But we know Baines has parents. Yeah. Because they must be extremely rich to send him to that school. So basically, they're just going to get... I noticed that, oh, yeah, by the way, your son went crazy and murdered a bunch of people. So we had to trap him in a field somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, oh, man, when 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 a farmer tries to take down that scarecrow, yeah. <laughs> they are going to freak out. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. You know, progress is going to come along and yeah. they're going to move that scarecrow at some point. But the mirrors, the mirrors is a good idea. I like the mirrors. That's right. They say, oh, um, he's going to live forever. No, he's probably going to be standing as a scarecrow for like 30, 40 years and then he's going to be moved moved out and, and they're going to put a car park in its, in its place. It's going to get bulldozed <laughs> straight over. I assume that they're all trying to live forever because later on Joan says that they will breed and wage war and, and so I doubt that Baines is going to like try and breed by himself he could i don't know well who would know with baines but i love him i love him when he's talking to the headmaster come to give me a caning sir 
He's so good. Those actors got wild eyes. Those actors have it. That that actor has entirely too much fun playing that role. With their great acting, father of mine is so bad. It's just so nondescript. It doesn't work. The guy with the the mustache, he just he doesn't work. All the others work. Because last episode, I I mentioned how I wasn't a huge fan of the Lucy's acting, but in this episode where she she shoots the headmaster and then is basically like, "All right, who wants some?" Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, she's really good." They don't live for very long, right? So maybe she's a few. She's like a month old at this point, I think based off the timeline or whatever. No, she's more, she's like two months old, but that's pretty old in their years. So she's pretty mature. She might look like this stubby little girl, but she's like, I don't know, a 50-year-old woman. Yeah, well, remember, she only looks like that because they found a little girl. If they had found an old woman, then she would be older than mother of yeah, mine. Yeah, I know. think we also chose the bodies to make them look like a family, though, because you see them, they do choose the body, sort of. They don't choose Vladimir's body, but they like, because he's just there, so it makes sense. Oh, yeah, Bane's, yeah. Oh, uh, Bane, sorry. Yeah, Bane, sorry. The, the other ones, they're, they're just like, oh, look, that looks like a good person. Zhoom. My body now. I know. I was still sorry that the maid got taken over I because I liked her. But she was very good as mother of mine. Yes, she was. She was. They were. They were all did a really I think, good job. You know, yeah. like to me, just as as an actor, as a director, this this looks to me like that particular foursome was cast because of the way that they looked, not necessarily the rapport that they had as actors, mm. and not necessarily their skill. And so the actors really rose to the top. And then even the little girl, what's the little girl's name? Lucy? Yeah. Lucy, yeah. So that moment that you described, I think that's a product of good, really intentional directing. Like that, yeah. I imagine that scene took quite a bit of effort to get her to, to get to get that out of her. She's probably old. Yeah. The actor's probably like 12, 14, 30. No, no, the acting like teenagers. Well, yeah, Olivia yeah. Newton John was thirty when she was supposed to be playing a sixteen-year-old, wasn't she? Yeah, exactly. In Greece. Yeah, so. I love, I love that bit where Lucy comes out and like, "Hello, fellow pre-tweens." Uh huh. <laughs> she did come back for the the sequel that we'll yeah we'll talk about in the uh, in the bonus episode. Mm. But yeah, I, I imagine I imagine they cast Baines first because Russell T Davies said that he was blown away by his audition. Yeah, yeah. He actually suggested him. As, as the next doctor. Yeah. He could do it, but now knowing that he played the baddie in Game of Thrones as well, I've realized that he's just a really good, really good slimy baddie, isn't he? Well, I think he would be a good master. Oh, yeah, true. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. Master, yeah. Yes, he would. Have you guys been watching Loki? No, no, but my friends have. Yeah, it's got really big Doctor Who vibes, but it's great. It's it's really good. Can we talk about the... Um... What, the episode? Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so keen to talk about David Tennant because I think the whole premise is so brilliant. Oh, it's so good. And the way that he approached it, you know, there are some actors who are unwilling to do like ugly crying (laughs) and David Tennant is not one of them. So what we saw in his human portrayal was such a sort of like a vulnerability and just a sense of kind of like never knowing what to do exactly. Uh, well, for the most part, and being so devastated by the idea that he couldn't have this life. Yeah. Yep, he's amazing. You know, the actor could have played that 
with a little bit more re- remove, but David Tennant just went for the heart of it. And like, it just, it had me in Mommy tears. Cried. I did. I was crying. Yeah. Yeah. I cried too. Yeah. I cried too. Yeah. No, not me. I was sick of him by then. <laughs> I wanted the doctor back. <laughs> You're sick of his whinging. But I was, but you know, the moment that crystallizes it for me is when he's John Smith and he holds the watch and he just slips back into the doctor for a second and then goes back to John Smith. And I went, my God, that's great acting. Yeah. Yeah. But I also went, bring me back the doctor. This whiny ass is annoying me. Yeah, but we're we're coming at it from, you know, we we know the doctor, but I love the way that they you don't you don't really think about it, but from his point of view, he's not gonna exist anymore. He's gonna be dead. And he says like he's basically killing John Smith to bring back the doctor. And we we know that they're both the same character and they're both the same actor. But you know, when you when you see it from their point of view, it's like, you know, like Joan says, he was braver than you because he chose to die. Yeah. To, to bring you back. Yeah, and it it's a great because it would be really easy to just go, well, John Smith isn't real, so we don't really care and we'll yeah. just move on to getting the doctor back. But they played it for the you know, from the heart of he's a real entity, a real person. Yeah. And he's in love with Joan. I thought it was so sad. But I was frustrated with Latimer running around with the watch. <laughs> Yeah. And in the end, I just wanted whiny ass John to bugger off. So that was me. <laughs> I, I thought the um, way the doctor talked about Latimer was interesting. Just mild telepathic or something. Yeah. Yeah. That was really interesting. I was like, it introduced this whole idea, new idea that humans could just have some mild powers. And it's, it's always been interesting to me because in, in sci-fi, it's like, it's just accepted that people will have psychic powers at some point. <laughs> And it's like we have we can't even prove that psych, like psychic powers exist now. E- everything that's sort of like psychic is like oh it's 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 animal pheromones or it's it's you know consciousness given through blood or whatever. And it's like but it's just accepted in sci-fi like oh yeah 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 we'll all have psychic powers. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I don't think that's fine. It's sci-fi. It'd be great. I, I would love psychic powers. It's like we can't definitively prove that it exists now. You know? Oh, I don't want to know what people are thinking about me for God's sake. <laughs> well, I like the fact that he can tell my things about the future yeah minor things yeah but but the whole episode hinges on his ability yes it does i just realized something sorry my mom was talking about this you know when you said and the doctor gives him some information so at the end when he avoids the bomb right mom thought the doctor had given him some information no earlier on in the episode we see him realize the bomb but the watch can tell the time. That's the important oh. part. That he needs oh. to be able to tell the time. Because he knows yeah, what he time didn't, he didn't have a watch. But he needs the watch to be able to tell oh. the time. That makes more sense. Oh. So he knew that already. But the vision is brought on by the, the consciousness in the watch, isn't it? No. The, well, he, get, he gets visions before that. The vision is brought on by him having the watch. But I don't think it's brought on by the consciousness in the watch. I think it's brought in by... Like he he realizes that like you know early on when he doesn't even have the watch he's just like yeah I can just tell things sometimes and then like he gets the watch and it's like a, you know if you like pick up something and you might have like a memory to do with that thing it's like that but the memory's in the future and oh then, I see I think he just yeah realizes that like he you see it you see the watch like you see you zoom in in it and you see the time and then you see the bomb and so he needs that watch so it's like a chain of events if the doctor hadn't have given him the watch he would have died you don't think that Latimer would have gone out and just bought a watch well i don't <laughs> know he would have 
It's not the right watch. <laughs> You're like, well, I didn't get given a watch. Looks like I'm going to die. What are you talking about? Latimer, these are country kids. He doesn't have money for a fob watch. <laughs> he goes to a boarding school. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. Never mind. <laughs> but he's, I bet his family, like, he got a scholarship there. Can you see You see how Yeah, yeah, is? true. He got a scholarship because he's psychic. That's right. No, but you see how smart he is. <laughs> the doctor's just like, he's, he's, the doctor's just like, you aren't working hard enough. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm top of my class. What, what are you going on about? Oh, yeah, yeah, he does. That's right. He is the smartest kid. Yeah. I love those, all that stuff, too, where John Smith gets to be, like, really crappy and forgetful. <laughs> Oh, he's like a crappy teacher. The last episode, permission to beat Latimer, permission granted. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) The doctor grants permission for Hutchinson to beat Latimer. I just, okay. (laughs) Yeah, meanwhile, Joan's like, uh, the John Smith I know wouldn't get these kids to fight. And you can kind of see in his face, he's like, yeah, but they want me, so I'll throw all of these kids at them. I don't care. (laughs) I love that Martha steps up. If it wasn't for Martha, they'd all be screwed. Oh, man. It's always like that. The companions are always the real heroes. Yeah. She steps up. She gets the, you know, gun. She, she's amazing. I love it when she says, you are crap as a human. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mother of mine says husbands of mine, which suggests that they aren't their actual names like I thought, but rather names based on their on the person's relation to them. So really I should be calling them all no relation of mine. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> great, great joke. Was yeah. that meant to be Thank you, thank you. I shall call you co-host of mine. <laughs> okay, co-host of mine. Guest of ours? <laughs> I think they just don't have names. It's like you notice that Latimer, uh, not freaking the boy, the Baines. Baines, Baines, yeah. By his mother, son of mine, and by his sister, brother of mine. Yeah, it's a... Oh, well, I mean, it, it made it very clear for us who they were, so that worked. Yep, they're all related. And they are called a family. No names. I can never remember any characters' names, even if it's like a TV show I've been watching for months. So <laughs> don't expect me to remember these four random characters in two episodes. Game of Thrones was the worst. They had so many random characters who'd pop up for like one scene and then disappear, and you're like, wait, am I supposed to remember that character's name? I like the I, I like the brother of mine and son of mine because it also gives like – so we're in, you know, First World War, but it gives this before, sort of... Before, before. Yeah, just before. Just before, yeah. It gives this sort of like medieval feel to the family. Like they're out of step. They they don't, they, they're not hip to the jive. They don't, you know, you know what I mean? Like it gives this sort of weird you're formality. Hip to the hip to the jive, Mom? You're not hip to the jive. I'm hip to the jive there. I'm hip to the jive. If they, if they were hip, they'd be like, yo, whack daddy of mine. <laughs> Stop it, you people are old. Stop it. No. Coolio groovy, man. No. <laughs> you know, I wanted to say as well that I love this, the episode itself, the way that it ends. It has like three different framing perspectives. So you've got Latimer, right? And his epilogue like in the war and he lives because he's got this knowledge that is somehow a little bit tied to the doctor. Yeah, it is because of the watch. But then you've also got the narration of Son of Mine. I like that. And it's like, but where's he talking from? He's talking from the scarecrow? Yes. Like, and who's he talking yeah. to? Like, you know, it's the just, world. it's like, well, he, he was trying to be kind and, you know, and he put my sister, like, how does, well, I guess he knows because he's the last to go. So that assumes that the doctor's taken the whole family. You see him take the whole family. 
in the TARDIS. Oh, like you see him throw yeah. his mother out of the TARDIS door. Just right. like, and so and there's that, but there's also this sense that Martha is our touch point. Yeah. So it's got, do you know what I mean? It's got like three points of view. It's like, how how is this framed? What are we watching? But also you've got Joan's point of view because she has that beautiful moment where she gives him that set down yeah. that if he hadn't come here just on a whim, would anybody have died? Oh, it's a great, it's a fantastic line. And she says to him, you can go. I mean, it's... It really is looking at it from the companion, from the the people that are left at the end, yeah. and then the baddies as well. Uh, but I also don't think you know we're supposed to one hundred percent. You know, we're we're supposed to view her as a sympathetic character, but also there, there's a point where she tells Martha, "Oh, there's no way you could be a doctor," and it's like, "Oh my god!" I know, yeah. But it's it it has to be brought out because yeah. of oh, yeah, who yeah. Martha is in a in a white boarding school for men yeah like she maybe could i think doesn't she say she says something about being a nurse or something yeah she says she's a doctor she's a trained doctor yeah yeah but she says something about her like maybe being able to be a nurse because she's a woman but no way because yeah yeah she's well and she says someone your color as well yeah 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 so you know, it's it's a gauge of those times, yeah. and, which I still think is shitty that John Smith brought it to this time. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is a really for the Doctor. It's like, why would you blame <laughs> him here? I hadn't thought about that. I was sort of blaming the episode for its lack of diversity, but it's absolutely the Doctor's fault. <laughs> the Doctor yes. decided to bring her to this time. He could have just gone to like an island in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and just spent three months there. Yeah, but oh no, I've got a, a black female. I'll take you to a place where you know. Oh. Oh. females and people of that color get the worst shit oh thanks doctor i know in, in freaking britain and she's got to be like it's it's really obvious that she's struggling and she's lonely especially because what's interesting about the character is she's she's kind of viewed as if she's first generation everyone thinks she's like come from a, it's which isn't mm-hmm. true about her character martha yeah is i think she is meant to be second second third whatever she yeah, yeah. she was born in london which yeah. is very clear yeah. she is like she's she's definitely at least third generation because we've met her parents and they're both they're both londoners too so. yeah but that would have been unusual wouldn't it in that time or not yeah very much unusual so yeah, i wouldn't use her as like oh yeah cuz you know the whole cultural differences thing that john smith says it's like oh yeah it's, it's as if everyone just automatically thinks she's come straight from africa which she hasn't. I don't even know if that character, Martha herself, the character, has spent any time in Africa. No, and and she she sounds, she's got an English accent. What do they yeah. think? Everyone in the whole world speaks with an English accent? I think of it like this. I think the fact that she's from London and in their, like, small town minds, it's basically like whether she's from London or literally just come from Africa, it's it's basically the same. Like yeah. she acts differently to how we act and therefore they just automatically go to Africa because, you know, she she happens to be a person of colour. But she looks different, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a fact she's acting weird because first of all she's from the future. Yeah. Secondly, she's from London. And you know, like if they met someone who was from London from the time, they probably would would blow their minds as well, you know. But especially since well, she's probably there are cultural differences. Because she's from the future. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's a big difference there. Yeah. It's, a, it's surprising she can understand what they're saying because they're from the future, you know. Yeah. Because you imagine even if it was it was you when you had to go back and be a maid. I mean, as a woman, well, not you, Adam, you're a man, you could do what you like. <laughs> 
But as women, we would have to, you know, go back and Anne and I'd have to be doing everything and and not being listened to by anybody and, you know, being just run down. I mean, it's just shitty. It's a shitty time to take someone. I don't expect a great life back then either. No. Well, no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be great if you weren't wealthy. I mean, to be fair, if you, aren't, if you aren't wealthy, it's not great at any point in, in all of history. But at least now we, we sort of have a middle class that can subsist, you know, in some way. The middle class has grown. Yeah, but even yeah. if you were wealthy um, in those days, you still had to get married and your husband owned you as chattel. I think the episode does a lot to like that the writers really were intentional about bringing up race and issues yeah. of race. Yeah. And I also like I'm glad they did. I'm really glad for that that it wasn't like that there wasn't a color blindness to the episode. And I also, you know, like it, it's it's still a very white world in terms of the writing and and the world. So Oh yeah. yeah. I I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how accurate it was and you know, I mean whatever. But one of the things that was skipped about that just in terms of that issue is that there was very little information given around what it looked like when John Smith brought this black maid mm. to the, like, mm. yeah, you just came with him, you know, like oh. there was no sense of like, what the, oh, how was that conversation? Like, how was like, oh yes, well, she's come to me through, you know, like what was the justification? That makes sense because even women were maids and even if they were women of color, they were still put into maid positions. They were usually yeah. paid less or not paid at all. Yeah, and, and John Smith does say that she John Smith owns her. He in- inherited Yeah, she worked for his family, so oh, when, yeah. when he, he moved away, yeah. So he literally she literally says that John Smith inherited her. Like he yeah. owns her because she was like a housemate, right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't start me. <laughs> <laughs> but also this is the, the like you know it's good that they they brought it up and they didn't shy away from it in this episode but also this is the same season and I think it's a Shakespeare code where Martha goes aren't I going to get noticed and and the doctor's like ah don't worry about it no one cares about race here well it could have been a different time then too I don't yeah. I, I don't I don't know what the different but there was around those times that the prejudices were really bad well that's the interesting thing hey about sci-fi in general is that it's always a lens that we're looking back through and the, the the lens is the time that we're looking back through and we see what we want Historical to see. Sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. We, start, uh, we see what we want to see about that time period, you know. So when was this episode aired? 2007. Yeah. So I think like it's a very sort of 2007 take on yeah. Yeah. what it would have been like around the First World War to be of African origin in a small country town in Britain, which I have no idea, like I've never been to England, you know, like I have no idea what that would even feel like. I think this episode would be quite different were it post Black Lives Matter. Oh, yeah. Definitely, the writing yeah. would have been completely different. I think so too. And it, it annoys me that they go on about Jody's episodes are all about, you know, social this and social that. And But th- this is dealing with it. Doctor Who's always been the, Well, at least the new seasons yeah. have always been Yes. Political. It's just like people, it's been happening with a lot of things. It's just like with a lot of episodes, people are complaining about the politicism, even with like SNL. It's like SNL's always been political. These things have always been political. Oh, totally, yeah. It's like conservatives who, who find out about Rage Against the Machine and they're like, um, excuse me, that's not the machine that I've always been raging against. <laughs> it's like, have you have you been listening to this band? <laughs> I have found many machines to rage against in my time. 
Uh, now, Sam, Rage Against the Machine was a band that was uh, in the 90s and they... Uh... I know who Rage Against the Machine <laughs> I'm are. just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> Back in the days of fax machines. Yes. Against, they're raising against the fax machines. That's right, the fax machines. They didn't like the I fax machines. I thought it was raising against like, the machine, like sticking it to the man. Yes. Well, that's all makes sense. Like, who's raving against, like, a car motor? Or a- <laughs> the sad thing is I can remember the telex just before the fax. I never used it, but I can remember people using the telex machine. Listen, when I was in primary school, it was a real treat to be sent to the mimeograph room to make <laughs> copies from the mimeograph machine and it was all because you'd get a little bit high off the ink i say chap so we all rage against the mimeograph yes <laughs> let's go i i'm raging i'm raging against the telex that's still that's still relevant now it's so nice to go and you if you get to print out the printouts for your teacher you skip like five minutes class because the printer takes forever and usually doesn't work Woo. i remember when i was at school they had a just like had had two computer labs and you had to book those and you had to go and use them. And now at most schools, they just give you a laptop. Here you go. Yeah. You just have your own laptop. In primary school, we had computer labs. We had three computer labs. Oh my gosh. And you had to book them. And then the year sixes had laptops. Wow. And then in, in high school, I have my own laptop. It's, it's given to me by school. In year 10, I get my own one. You have to buy me a laptop in year 10. But basically, um, yeah, the, you just get a laptop. Except they're really, really bad Dell laptops. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, they give you. Well, we had four computers and they said, would you like to do something on the computer? And I learned a little, little bit of programming language, but I went, eh, I'm never going to use a computer. What am I going to use a computer for? So I didn't bother. And, of course, they took over the world. <laughs> but Yeah. We used to have four in each classroom and computer labs. In mm. it's, it changed. My friend at school learned code and he's he just codes instead of doing his schoolwork. Yeah, and he, <laughs> he, he probably he probably owns millions. Was was your was your friend Mark Zuckerberg? Is that what you're telling us? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, my dear friend Mark Zuckerberg. I'm, I, the Zucks. He just invested in cryptocurrency. So really, I'm going to actually bring this. You're going to be amazed, especially okay. you, Adam. Sure, you're going to be amazed. I'm going to bring this back to the episode by naming one of the key funny moments for Sam mm. was mm-hmm. the buttons. The technology. I love them. Oh, shouldn't have let me press Dress all those buttons. Yes, fantastic. He's just like buttons. Sam, and my husband said to me, he just loves to say buttons, doesn't he? And I said, and it was so beautifully acted because the first time that you saw it, you're going, well, is it John Smith? Is it the doctor? Is it? I love that. I almost got up and cheered. I love the way the doctor runs. Mm. The doctor has always, each doctor runs, like they're all different people, right? They're actors. They all run weirdly though. Like this doctor just runs. Like wee. Do you think when Jodie took over, they they like, ah, oh, Jodie, come, uh, look, we've noticed that you run too normally, so if you could just, like, weird it up, that'd be great. I loved Matt Smith's run with his long, bandy legs. I just loved yeah, him. Yeah, he didn't have to do much, hey? 
They just kind of old. But that is flailing. So Sam, is that what you're saying? Is that you knew it was the doctor when he said run, and then did that crazy ass doctor run? Yes, <laughs> the doctor's run. Maybe it's part of the audition. They have two actors who are like, we can't choose between them, and then they get them to run a hundred meters, and they're like, oh yeah, Jodie Whittaker has got the weirder, weirdest, weirder uh, run, so we'll pick her. Minister for silly walks picks you. Yes. So off you go. That's my Monty Python reference. What about the marriage? How did you feel about when you saw the the life unfolding? The flash forward, basically, mm. when they both they both touch the watch and they get a vision too. So they get the vision of what their life would be like if John Smith could exist. Nah. Nah. This is a very powerful watch. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it was very sad. It was beautiful. And I think, like, for me, it just gave a whole context to how much it sucks to be the doctor and why he's such a jerk half the time, because he puts up a wall, because people die that he loves, and that's why he never falls in love. You see, but there's a problem with that. I see a problem with that. If he had a status on Smith, he would have had to go to war. Yeah. yeah, true. Oh, true. yes, he would have. Made it, which I think would have changed. Like, I feel like they missed that part. They missed him being forced to go to war. Right. Like, right. everyone just forgot that he would have had to go to war. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, if he had yeah. his John Smith. Because school teachers had to go to war, didn't they? Well, everyone had to go to war. Any man that could go to war went oh, to war. I thought farmers didn't go to war. He was not a farmer. No, that's true. He wasn't. But <laughs> I'm just saying. No, farmers went Here, to war. Their wives what, took over. Here's what the... What the rea- the the realistic flash forward would have been that he <laughs> he never would have gotten married. He would have gotten killed by the like yeah. He would have gotten killed by the family. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. The family would have taken over everything, and everyone would be dead. But meanwhile, it's like, but he's in bed laying. Is everyone okay? Oh yeah, the family's hunting them down. But yeah, 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 they're totally fine, mate. He's like, okay, that's good. I can die then. <laughs> Even if they would have figured out some way to stop the family with him staying as John Smith or whatever, he still would have had to go to war. And there's a pretty good chance that he would have died at war or been super traumatised or anything else that can happen or really injured. And he wouldn't have got this bit of shell shock life if he had stayed. He would have had to go to war. I think that it was a gift from the doctor to them. I think that, that that they got to feel it and see it and I think it was a gift. Unfortunately, John Smith went, oh, I can have that. And then we should have had Sam there to go, well, no, actually, you've got to go to war. And then... <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was a gift from the watch. Like the watch is like, here you go, have this. No, a <laughs> gift from the doctor. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Actually, what you're both saying is true. Is like, so the doctor's in the watch and there's some kind of sentient quality of the doctor in the watch. And so, yeah, a gift and also like a gift to himself then as well. Like yeah. the, the, the doctor needed to know if he was going to take human form, <laughs> he was going to do it up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was going to have the, you know, 2.5 kids and a white picket fence. Also, it pisses me off that the doctor forgot to write about love because the doctor's been in love before. Yeah. He keeps falling yes. in love with different people, especially River Song a lot. Yeah, Rose. He's he's he, like he's literally just got out of a relationship with Rose. Like, yeah, you're right. You're right. He should have thought about this because he does let his lips wander a little. So, are you saying that this relationship is a rebound? 
could yes. be. Oh, I, I don't think it's a rebound, but yeah, I think I think he should he should he's still he's still aware that he can fall in love with humans. Also, he, he keeps lamenting about how he can't have this life with people because he's he would age so much, you know, slower than everyone else. It's like, yes, but you have a whole race of people that you could end up with. You could go back and be with a, a another time lord or another time lady. You don't have to fall in love with humans. He chooses to hang out with humans and fall in love with them. Well, that's true. Although he did have a bit of a thing for Romana, who was a time lady, and then he then he dropped her off somewhere. But he keeps complaining about how he can't have this happy life, and it's like, but you're choosing to hang out with these people. Yes, but maybe that's why you do it. You choose to hang out with people that it won't last with because that's your, you know. Fetish. It's a fetish. <laughs> yeah. But if I hang out with dragonflies, I can't then go, oh, it's a shame I can't marry you because I'll crush you. Well, if you're going to marry a dragonfly, you're just weird. I, what, but you're saying it's okay for the doctor to marry a human? Well, if the dragonfly looked a bit more like you than a dragonfly. <laughs> well, they are similar. It's like Time Lords are just like humans but with an extra heart and they can live forever or for a certain, you know, an extended period of time. It's like, you know, it's it's the it's the fact that different, like, I don't know, I guess humans are a different species, but you know how, like, different dog breeds can breed, yep. right? Yeah, sure. It's kind of like, it's not, but it's kind of like that. I think he's just got a little bit of a uh, commitment phobia, and so therefore if you get people who are going to drop off a lot quicker, you can move on, you see? Yeah, <laughs> and also I don't think the BBC tries to go as in depth as we're going in. They're like, the Doctor looks human because it's cheaper. The humans look human because it's cheaper. Uh, they're done, done. Oh, all right. Well, but it would be weirder if like the Doctor Who was just like this weird Martian creature. Like seeing a weird Martian creature kiss a human would just be a little bit of awkward. Yeah, that's true, and uh, not not getting the good looking guys and ladies to do it would be a good thing as well. Yeah. Besides, there's certain type of animation you can you can watch if you want to see that. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Most sci-fi, like they put their human mask back on before there's any romantic stuff that happens because it's just a little off-putting. It is. Yeah, off-putting. I never want to see someone kissing a squid monster. Ever. Ever. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. They're just tentacles. As all the tentacles wrap around their face and then I, and I'm like Ugh. You don't you don't want to hear, read my story where uh, Martha hooks up with a nude? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh no. No one should hook up with an ood. Hook up with an ood should never be said aloud. <laughs> there would be a lot of squelching in that, wouldn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to hold the ball? Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so they, look, they, they talk about the police, right, and they can't contact the police, but they were literally just in town at the dance. Couldn't they have run to the police station first and then gone to the school? They aren't that smart. John's no. really dumb. He might be a professor, but he's kind of an idiot. And mm. Martha was trying to save everyone else's ass. So, like, she wasn't, like, she was like, can you guys just do something, be productive? So, yeah, and the doctor's kind of a dumbass. Sure, but they weren't the only people at that dance. There was a lot of people. And you're telling me in a small town that no one knows knows someone who's a police officer or is related to someone who's a police officer? Mm. Well, maybe the police officer 
thought, this sounds a bit ridiculous, I'm not going to go, or perhaps he thought he might get disintegrated because <laughs> as had happened, so stay home with the wife and have tea, I say. Do you know, and I think like from the writing's point of view, and this was, a, this was a part of the episode that I felt uncomfortable about being moved by, like we needed to see the 13-year-old boys going to war because Britain need to relive how crappy it was for 13-year-old boys to go to war, you know, like. And there was, you know, like there was this like patriotism and like, this is what we're trying to do. And yes, everyone get your guns out and formation, you know. King and country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the headmaster goes, I would go back in a second for king and country. It's like, really? (laughs) Yeah, there was all that stuff. And it was like, it was really moving. And I felt uncomfortable about being moved because it was very much, and being an American in Australia, it was very Anzac-y. It was very anzac day yeah. to me, to my sensibility. It was so much like, you know, for king and country and the glory and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I, I, got, the, I got that big thing about the glory of war. But mm. what I think they showed was when those boys were even, they were shooting scarecrows. Yeah. There was tears. It was, yeah. you know, it's not glorious, you know. I th- no. I think they showed that. And did you see the joy in their faces when they realised that they weren't living? They hadn't killed anyone, yeah. yeah. They were yeah. so happy. It's just like like moving. It's like they don't want to kill people. These are like 40. 40- but then their headmaster gets shot in front of them, so they are a hundred percent traumatized from that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I really like the whole like what Mum was saying about the whole like what were we saying again, Mum? Like the um king and country part. Yeah, I think they did a decent job at not glad like making it look super glamorous. He didn't. Yeah. And I don't think he really wanted to go. I couldn't tell how old any of those boys were. Yeah. They all looked like they were ten. Like, Latimer looked like 12, but then like Baines looked like, I don't know, 17. It's like, yeah, they were, they all go to high school. So they obviously can be different ages, but like, how old was Latimer? I couldn't figure it out. I was like, are you meant to be 12 or are you meant to be 16? I can't tell. Yeah. But when I see kids, I see kids uh, sometimes in uniform and they've got like full beard and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a grown ass adult and I can't even grow a beard. So, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Well, that's that's true. You can you can do that. Remember when my son would go to sports things, and there'd be kids he'd be playing against. I'm pretty sure had a wife and kids on the sideline, and other ones who looked like you know they'd just got their first pimple, and they all were the same age. And I think this, how can this be fair? And it was unfortunate with Latimer as well as as being one of those younger looking actors because they had to they had to make those later scenes really dark for us to buy at all. <laughs> Yeah. Older. Absolutely. For him to him to say, Wait, I told you about this years ago, and I'm going, wait, you're still 12. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, they, and he's supposed to be like an adult who's at war, and it's like, oh, look at him, so cute, he's so cute. <laughs> like, he does still look like 12. <laughs> I think that actor's probably older, but like he looks young. Well, and you had to put him in. He He's from uh, Love Actually. He looks so, my know. age. He literally looks my age. It's like, I'm 13. There's no... <laughs> But he, he even looks older in the Maze Runner, like he is older. He might be 17, but he still looks really young. He's got a baby face. He's got baby a baby face. Can I go back mm. to Adam, something you just said, Adam? Yeah. So you said he's from Love Actually. Yeah. Are you saying 
that the character of Latimer is a time traveler, not just psychic, yes. that he appears in love actually later in that world. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you believe that, <laughs> i just point out to you that Adam wants to marry a dragonfly. Yeah, Anywho. Yeah. Well, there's, there's that last line in Love Actually where the little kid turns to Liam Neeson, who plays his dad, and he goes, make sure you do the Taken films. All right, goodbye. <laughs> I've never seen Love Actually. It, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. I've never seen Love Actually, so you could fool me. Oh, oh, it's a great movie. It. Mm, it's very light and easy. Talking about their ages. Um, there's a bit where the headmaster and I've just called him cannon fodder teacher. <laughs> they go out to talk to Baines and Jenny. He's like, hasn't been given a name and it's like, oh, you are going to die. And then, he, and then the headmaster goes, oh, there's always a woman involved. So apparently, oh, yeah. apparently he thinks Baines and Jenny are like hooking up or something. You know, whenever there's something going wrong, there's always a woman involved. <laughs> I think that's just lazy writing on the part of the, the writers. Yeah, They're like, we'll just throw in a, a random sexist comment. <laughs> but then the cannon fodder teacher says there's alcohol involved. So apparently they think the murderers are drunk and horny. <laughs> No, I, I think 1913, that headmaster, does think whenever something goes wrong, there's a woman involved. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, this headmaster just happened. A- anytime anything goes wrong, someone's drunk and there must be a woman. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way. <laughs> that, that the cause of World War One was a drunk woman. Yeah. Oh, God, that's <laughs> the worst thing ever. If they kept pushing him, then the third thing would have been like, you just haven't been praying enough. Oh, I remember my question. Which war did the headmaster go to? Were there wars before? Oh, the- yeah, Boer War. The Boer, Boer War in South Boer. Africa. There were wars before the First World War. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Boer War is terrible. They fought against the um, native tribes in South Africa. Yeah. That's awful. And the Dutch. They fought against that the Dutch. That was all the comments he was making about her. That's what he was going on about. He's like, I've spent time with these people. And I was like, yeah. I was like, what? Zulu warriors, yeah, and the Dutch. When Latimer uh, in the first episode goes, oh, but they've only got spears. Why are we, like, using these automatic guns against them? And he's like, oh, look at you, you know, questioning what we're supposed to do, gunning down these, you know, as he would have said, savages. Yeah, Yeah, so they were were expecting another war against uh, uh, Africa, but what ended up happening is just everyone started fighting. Yeah. And everyone had guns. Well, like 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 they said at the end, because – two countries that had, because everyone had treaties with each other, that yes. brought in all of these other countries and then eventually most of the world was was joined in. Such a stupid, senseless war because it oh. really was just all about land and who could own which continent and it was nothing about actual, it, it would have been anything. They could have swatted a fly and they'd go, right, we're going to war. At least they fixed it up for World War Two. They had an actual bad guy for that one. <laughs> We've got a villain. Yeah, whereas like World War One, everyone was just like I couldn't every time we learn about World War One in, in school, I'm like, so what started this war again? These people and then the I just It was alcohol and a woman. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not enough praying. <laughs> whereas like World War Two has a very clear plot. Yeah. The writing is much better. It's a clear villain. I'm with you. I'm with you, Sam. The first time I learned about it in in high school, I'm like, why? Why? World War Three is going to be a full cinematic universe. They're going to have (laughs) movies that move into each other. It's going to be great. It's going to be great, guys. (laughs) I'll just say, I think Trump's going to star in it, but I won't say anymore. Anyway, (laughs) I have. Yeah, I just will. Yeah, not say anything. (laughs) Yeah, because that'll. 
That's a different podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's our that's our uh, alternative history podcast. <laughs> I'll be on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, start it then. Oh. Now, do you think they have a? There's a lot of scarecrows. So, do we think they have a lot of farms in Farringham, or Baines just made way too many scarecrows? Okay, so I think we have a lot of farms. It's clearly farmland. When you see Lucy, she's walking through farmland. With Everyone's the balloon. always walking through farmland. <laughs> Everyone, you know, they go to see the spaceship. They hit. Wait a minute, know. wait a minute. Do they grow balloons? <laughs> no, yeah. they don't grow balloons. The first scarecrows had balloons coming out of their hands and they're like, no, this isn't this isn't working. <laughs> but basically, like, you know, you see you see Baines tromping off to go find alcohol or something, and then he's like in the field and he goes, whoop, and then he opens the door. He's like in feet. You just see field as far as the eye can see. Uh, yeah. But my favorite part is the maids. Um, mm. are just like, yeah, there's nothing here. We're not going to walk even just a little yeah. bit further. Yeah. We're stay here. You know, we can walk out into the actual field, but no, we're just going to stay back here. You know, we could go into that little like hill where you actually can't see down there, but maybe it would help to go down there. But normally, no. normally it's one scarecrow per field. So there must be like acres and acres of field. No, it wouldn't be. It'd be. Per acre or per hectare? I don't know. Oh, well, you you would know better than I would, Nakia. We didn't have scarecrows. <laughs> okay. Is that because of this episode? <laughs> yes. Put me off. Sorry, Sam. I was going to say, I think you probably have about a few scarecrows f- per field because fields can be huge. Like, not, not like fields usually, I don't know. When I drive past fields, we don't really have scarecrows, but, like, I imagine no, we don't. at yeah. least one on each corner and then maybe one in the middle. Yeah, I think you'd look at it per hectare or per acre or per metre squared, whatever whatever you were using at the time, and you'd have a couple out there. Because what? Crows are not going to go, oh, there's one wee off in the distance, I'll bugger off. Well, look, when, when I'm playing Stardew Valley, it's one scarecrow per eight squares. So <laughs> There you go. There, there you, you go. go. There you go. But Baines made he made them because he says ever so good at science, sir. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I like and pulled the face. I love that. Yeah. I, I just like to think he just had all these scarecrows hanging out in the spaceship, and he's like, "Oh, I I made way too many of these. Oh dear." <laughs> I know. I remember when we were watching it, and my husband David said, "Oh, I I never liked this scene because there's really only four scarecrows. You don't see enough." And then they move out, and he goes, "Oh, I wonder why I thought there was only four because they they just keep coming but if the music that they play when the scarecrows are being gunned down and the boys are you know Hutchinson's tearing up and the boys are scared it just, it works so yeah. well can i point out that's the same hymn that they were singing in the first episode when the doctor's mm. going around the school and and oh. having a look at everything yeah right yeah. Really i didn't good. realize that when until i tried to look it up and i i realized it was from the first episode it's brilliant it's i think that's a brilliant scene but why didn't someone just set them on fire like you could have just thrown a match and it would have just well, they didn't they didn't know that they thought they were people probably in costumes well you still could have set their costumes on fire yeah that's true if they were people they would have just started going ah <laughs> that's not british yeah that's, <laughs> yeah, that's not british that's not king and country it's going to be less effective we must play by marcus of queensbury rules yeah also british. also it was the first world war so having a flamethrower was like basically <laughs> Opening a grenade in your own camp. You get them all close together and then you throw a match down there and they just... just all right, scarecrows, can we just get you all together, please? Get you all together. <laughs> like, scarecrows over here, please. Like the helium from Lucy's balloon. Yeah, just, we're just getting a photo. <laughs> Could have set Lucy on fire too. You see, you just set everyone on fire. This is why Alton is always the answer. <laughs> 
Uh, now, and now I'm worried about Sam, and now I'm worried about Anne. I thought they were aliens. <laughs> Sam, I think we need to have a talk. <laughs> yes. Now, Anne, if your house burns down, <laughs> I want you to ring me. Now, when, when, two, oh. people, when two people love each other uh, a whole lot, they don't set fire to anything. <laughs> oh, I love the scarecrows, and I think that the scarecrows were really well choreographed. There is some. There's some good movement coaching behind them that the way yes. that they moved was so creepy and so so consistent. Yeah, and had they not had that, if they just sort of walked normally, it wouldn't have worked as well. No. The movement was fantastic. There's so many amazing scenes and moments in in this particular two-parter but yeah. you know this yeah. this second part as well as the first and that that's one that that really I, I felt re- I was really emotional watching that for those poor boys yeah. yeah it's interesting about the family and the scarecrows I don't really understand I guess he's just really good at science and that's all the explanation we need but I don't understand how the family is able to animate stuff well, I think Baines does uh, try to explain it to the poor old headmaster, but I think that Russell T. Davies just wanted a monster. Yeah. 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 I think, and I think the family yeah. just wanted foot soldiers to like do yeah. their work for them, basically. It makes me upset that no one set them on fire, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. You want to set things on fire. Because now, Sam, Sam, you can, you can build one. And set it on fire, okay? Mom, no, <laughs> Burning Man, Burning Man. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Sam just wants to go to Burning Man, really. That's, that's pretty much it. Oh. Do I get to set the Burning Man on fire? No. Oh. Okay. Anyway, this is a conversation you can have, you know, with 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 Anne. That's fine. Uh, can we just go back to, um, you know, when Jonah is, is saying that Martha can't be a doctor? Like she can accept that aliens look like humans, but a female person of color training to be a doctor, preposterous. Yes, I know. Very small mind. The old Joan. Also, the London School of Medicine for Women was opened in 1874, 39 years before the setting of this story. It was started by Elizabeth Blackwell, the first woman to get a degree in the US and generally considered to be the first female doctor. Her sister, Emily Blackwell, the third woman in the US to get a medical degree. Elizabeth Garrett Anderson, the first woman to get a medical degree in the UK. Sophia Jex Blake, the first woman to get a medical degree in Scotland. And Thomas Henry Huxley, the token male. <laughs> God, wouldn't that have been? I mean, imagine that. It would have been a tough, a tough old uh, sell when you yeah. got out there. But damn, good on them. Other, other than being okay with women being doctors, Huxley's other flaw from the period was advocating Darwin's theory of evolution, which earned him the name Darwin's bulldog. It's like he he liked the theory of evolution. Yeah, yeah, he was okay uh, with the theory of evolution, and so all the religious people would would have been like heathen, heathen. It's like my friend group. We've always got to have at least one token straight white. <laughs> you gotta have one it's it's the friend it's just needed yeah, yeah you've just you've just got to give them a give them a because token, token white token straight white guys just need a hand up these days yeah 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 <laughs> do you interview beforehand or just yes, randomly pick yeah, one yeah. see how it goes oh they are sensible <laughs> sensible mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they've got to be interesting and a little geeky all right i'll remember that so nerds are Nerds can uh, apply. Yeah. It's interesting because I remember being in high school and thinking I was going to grow out of being nerdy. 
And it, you know, it's only it's only been in the last like ten, fifteen years where it's actually been a, a a trait that people, you know, like, oh yeah, I'm a nerd. You know, it's it's actually become fashionable to be a nerd. Whereas when I was in high school, oh man, I don't think it's fashionable to, fashionable to be a nerd. My friend groups just like everyone hates us. So that's not true. That's high school. Yeah, I had the same when I was in high school. Yeah. We're cool. So like the 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 most of the boys in I I get called a nerd all the time by. Boys with mullets who I don't think should be. <laughs> yes, anyone with a mullet should shut up, Sam. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I don't think you should be allowed to have an opinion if you are a white boy with a bad mullet. Mm. Can you imagine looking in the mirror at your mullet and going, yeah, this looks great? You know what I can see? Five to seven years looking back on a photo of their mullet going off, but what was I thinking? That is such a mistake. And then you'd see in the corner of the mirror, you'd see (laughs) a red balloon. Exactly. You'd see a red balloon with a mullet. You'd hear a little voice going, your mullet sucks. (laughs) (laughs) It it always sucked. It all ties back to that. She just shaves your mullet off. Talking, she shaves your mullet off. She just shaves your mullet. Oh, she's gone from a horrible character to being the best character. (laughs) The best character. I actually, I think I've, in that same time period that you just described, Adam, I think I've really embraced being a nerd. And I always have been a nerd, but I didn't think that I got to call myself one. I, I like, I've always been a Trekkie and I've always been really interested in sci-fi. And now I feel like I'm sort of coming into my own as a nerd because I'm able well, yeah, geek or I know, I know there's a, there's a difference, but you know, label schmables. It's great to be a woman and to be able to embrace sci-fi and to be taken more seriously in those conversations. And also that I don't have to know everything because my memory's not great. I don't retain all of, you know, all of the detail of Doctor Who, but I don't let that stop me really enjoying it. It's like guys to like women in band t-shirts, name three songs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's like how I feel. I it's, it's good. That's changed a lot. But I feel like still in a lot of things, if you are a woman or a feminine person enjoying anything that's male dominated, you have to be incredibly, you're not yeah. allowed to be bad at it. You're not allowed to like mess up at all. Like skateboarding even, yeah. I get weird looks from men all the time because I fall over like constantly. Yeah. But it's like, I'm, I started skateboarding six months ago. What yeah. do you expect me to do? Yeah. Like you're not allowed to but be the Half of the videos on YouTube are probably like people stacking it on their skateboards, you know, like. Yeah. But it's the same with, I mean, I, I don't know if I, I've never really thought of myself as a nerd or a geek. I do now, but not when I was younger. I just, I was a bit of a doofus, I guess, a bit yeah. goofy and, and, and quirky. I had a quirky thing because I love Doctor Who. Yeah. But yeah, that the nerdy boys were on the computers. I wasn't doing that. But what Sam was saying, I love cricket. But if I talk about cricket with boys, I have to know more about cricket than they do. Yeah. Or I don't know cricket. I just saying I like cricket. So. You know, it's silly. Yeah, and I, and I suppose when I was in high school, like you know, there's always there's always been that gatekeeping of, you know, when when I was in high school, it was more prevalent of you were a nerd, you super liked this thing, you knew everything about it, and and I was trying to reconcile it with that, with you know, becoming an adult and like, oh, now I'll like adult things and I won't like these other things. I suppose it's it's more acceptable these days to, you know, to be a what could you know considered a normal person and then also be like oh yeah and and sometimes on the weekend i watch the entire lord of the rings trilogy the extended cuts because who would watch the the uh the originals you know like 
it, it's more acceptable to have nerdy aspects of your personality. It's, you know, cause we've got the Marvel movies, yeah. which mm. are the, the best selling movies in the, you know, in the world. And, yeah, and it, it's more fun. acceptable these days. Yeah. I, yeah. I think the sin is to be uh, obsessed with something, a nerd and pedantic. Yeah. That's the sin. When somebody says blah, blah, and you go, oh, no, that's not right because blah, 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 episode 12, and you go, oh, God, what a dickhead, <laughs> and you're out of there. So, yeah, don't be pedantic and a nerd. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's okay. Like there's there's things that I love but that I just dabble in that I don't know everything about, and I yeah. think that's what it's freed me to do is just like just dabble. That's you know? how I feel about like drawing. It's like I'm not going to be the best person ever at it. That's not my goal. I'm just going to do it. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's the thing is like I, I spent you know my my teenage years in awe of anyone who could draw or anyone who could play an instrument or anything like that, and it's only been in the last few years I've realized oh you've got to fuck up a lot to mm. get good at something, mm. and because because most people are like are scared of like oh I don't want to stuff up they never get those skills you know yeah. and and we you know we do it and we do improv and and that teaches you to be okay with failing because yeah. if you're okay with failing eventually you're going to get good at it yeah. well if you don't fail you're not going to learn anything yeah. but right. I, I feel like it's something they should teach kids and teach i don't know if they do teach anything like that cuz it's been over 20 years since i last went to to school we have growth mindset posters in our classroom well you had to do an essay about growth mindset oh Did yeah I? <laughs> They don't remember, but yeah, 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 it really rubbed off on you, didn't it? Had a huge impact. The only essay I remember doing was my essay on drugs, on mm. caffeine. Yeah, but resilience, I think. Sure. Uh, <laughs> anyway, back to the episode. Oh yes, we end with their punishments. Father of mine is wrapped in unbreakable chains, forged uh. in the heart of a dwarf star. And then what happened? Hang on, hang on. He's wrapped. This I got lost with this. He's wrapped yeah. in unbreakable chains. Forged in a dwarf star, and then what? Kept there forever. K- yeah, kicked kicked out a hatch or something. I don't know. Okay, all right. And what? Anyway, yeah. Uh, mother of mine is left in the event horizon of a collapsing galaxy, which means that she always looks like she's there. Mm-hmm. Sister of mine is trapped in a mirror. Every mirror. Every mirror. Every mirror. We've still got that bloody balloon. And son of mine is suspended in time and left as a scarecrow. Yeah. So mm. actually, actually, I think. What I just realized is they only exist in their moments, but they exist in those moments for them forever. So like a person yeah. passing by, right? It's only a second that he's that scarecrow for them. But he's that scarecrow for that second on repeat. I think that's what it is. I don't oh, think okay. That makes sense. For ages. I think he stays in that time and that scarecrow forever. Whereas I think she never ages, but she's in all the mirrors and she gets to watch the evolution of the world because she's in all the mirrors forever for always. So you think with Baines, the time is not what we see as linear. It's a, a frozen moment yeah, in time. Yeah, like instantaneous. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, which, which punishment Which punishment would you like the least? Uh, the mirrors. The mirrors? I think that, I think that would be the best one. You would get. Oh, you would have to see naked people all the time. <laughs> True, but you, I feel like you could just move to another mirror. You don't have to stay in every mirror. <laughs> and there's some people I'd like to see a bit nude. <laughs> no, no, she's in every mirror, which is important. That she's always in all of the mirrors because she comes back later, and they know it's a fake mirror because she's not in it. Mm. Yes, yeah. somewhere in the future, there's like another mirror, and they they like in a house of mirrors, I think, or something. I don't remember, but there's a mirror that's not a mirror because she isn't in it. And like she first generation mirror. doctors visit her. 
Isn't yeah. that right? Yeah. There's a bunch of like there's yeah. a bunch of references to visiting her once. And there, but there's there's references to doctors that haven't existed yet too. Visiting her. Yeah. So there's like future past doctors and future doctors who all so go and visit her. My yeah. question: What's the deal with the once a year, every year? Because what does that mean for a time lord? <laughs> Well, you can you can see that the doctor wears the same outfit constantly, does not look in the mirror and go, maybe I should change. So obviously once a year he looks in the mirror and goes, oh, hang on, I've been wearing this for 365 days. I'll put on a blue coat. Yeah, I think he means human years. <laughs> yeah, he has, he, has a, he has an alarm. So it feels like to him as a time lord, he literally just visits her and then he's like, oh, what, I got to visit her again? Oh, man. <laughs> and visiting her just means like it makes it seem like he visits her, he has to travel across the universe to visit her but really he just has to look into a mirror <laughs> yeah yeah he could have a mirror on the TARDIS yeah there probably <laughs> is like you know he keeps getting lost in the TARDIS I love those episodes those are some of my favorite episodes <laughs> he's just like where am I oh yeah I'm on the TARDIS there's got to be the original mirror that he put her in so maybe that's oh. what he visits and ah. they can talk. It's got to be in a, a mirror at the beginning, an original. Well, in in the it, it, well, you know, it, we'll talk more about the uh, the extra episodes in the in the bonus episode. But he it talks about how the doctor turns up and keeps asking her, "Are you sorry? Are you sorry? Are you sorry?" Mm. And that's why that's why he keeps visiting her. So yeah, and in the book, I think uh, the doctor's because it's Sylvester McCoy's doctor, the seventh doctor, mm. uh, Benny, his companion, visits her as yeah. well and tries to get her to say sorry as well. And she ain't sorry. Well, it's hard to get kids to say they're sorry. I know. Cut off their nose to spite their face. <laughs> uh, and we end up back in the present day, the Doctor and Martha visiting a, mem- a Remembrance Day memorial to see Latimer still holding the watch that saved his life. Aww. It was nice, but it's sad that he's old and he's like, you know, on his last legs. But it, at least he at least he got to be old. Yeah, at least he doesn't still have a baby face. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. He doesn't die in the mud of France with his baby face. <laughs> I I liked the uh I liked the scene before we get to that with uh Jessica. Uh well her the actress Joan, Jessica. Joan, but yeah. Joan Joan and the doctor when they have their final goodbye. Oh yes. Um I think that's beautifully acted by both of them. And the doctor is he's really there's no John Smith in him at all. He's just the doctor again. Yeah. It again shows you how he did those two characters so as two different people. I loved it. I like the, well, ca- could you bring him back? Yeah. yeah. Would you? No. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Why would you? The doctor offers Joan the chance to travel with him, but she's not a fan of traveling with a man who looks exactly like her ex. And who who would? <laughs> how, how would Martha have taken if he turned up with Joan? <laughs> Send me home. That is the shittiest thing. I, I, like, I was really mad at the doctor at that moment. I was like, you have no compassion for what this woman has been through. Yeah. And you also have a companion already. Yeah, and what, what, yeah, exactly. Like, who's been through a lot. And it's not going to be the same. It's going to be like, oh, a companion that I was in love with for, you know, oh. she's still in love with sort of me, but not really. <laughs> yeah, but she says, I'm in love with him, blah, blah, blah. I hope he doesn't remember. And then he obviously does remember. So he knows now that Martha is desperately in love with him. And he's still like, Oh, well, let's go on another adventure. He's a jerk. Yeah, he is with Martha. He really is. It drives me nuts. I mean, it's like, oh, really, you love me? Well, I kind of hooked up with this Sheila. Can she come along as well? Yeah. But surely he would be going through being like, oh, all of that makes so much more sense now that I know that she's desperately in love with me. You know, like in in the Shakespeare Code where she's like sharing a bed with him and then, you know, multiple episodes. 
episode where it's like, oh, oh, I acted really badly towards her. Yeah, he's doing the doctor thing and ignoring it and hoping it goes away. Yeah. <laughs> that's how my mother deals with all the stressful things. Well, that's awful. Let's not think about it anymore. That's right. Just don't think about it. All right. Is there anything, is there anything else anyone would like to mention about the family of blood? Well, five stars, everyone. <laughs> there um, we go. Oh, yeah, I think with a 4.5. It's <gasps> my favorite episode. I love it. It's one of my favorites. Love David Tennant. Love all the complexity. Love even even if it's if it's weird. I love the monsters. There's so much in these two episodes to watch and to be. I don't know. There's no there's no downtime really. I would nothing. watch it. It's good. Yeah, do watch. Mm, yeah. Loved it. It's it's. I think it's the best use of the the two part format ever. Yeah. You know, sometimes there's an episode where it's like, oh, I probably shouldn't have been two episodes or maybe an episode and a half. But this, yeah, you're right. There's nothing in it that you'd go, oh, well, we could definitely cut that. You know, yeah. it all it all works. You know, it, it, I yeah, and I I agree. Five stars from me too. Yeah. yeah, and in fact, we could have probably stretched out to four episodes because just to find out what the hell is with the balloon. <laughs> I want <laughs> just a whole episode on the balloon. Yeah. You know what I think they should have ended with at the very end after everything. Yeah. You know, the mirror in a gutter, and then you just see the balloon come out of the gutter. The mirror in the gutter. It's a reference to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Balloon out of the gutter. Yeah. Right. Not just the balloon, but her arm with it. Yeah. <laughs> Hiya, Georgie. We all float down here. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely five out of five stars for me yeah. as well. And I could have taken – I thought about taking half a point off because John Smith was starting to annoy me with his whining. But, no, I, I just – just loved it. There were so many great moments that really hit me where it hit me where I feel it. Yeah, um, Sam, can I can I ask? Did you like the first episode more than this episode, or or would you give both of them four and a half? I don't know. I think I liked the first episode more. Sure. I think I I thought it was good setting up, but I like the end of the second episode. Yeah. I think I could have gone without seeing the war memorial. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think that was relevant. It does feel like an extra ending. It was too, nice, yeah. but like I think they should have I, I actually would have rearranged the endings. So I think goodbye to the ex lover, then the whole bomb thing, and then where he puts them all, and that that's the end. I don't I don't really need to see him all. You're right, it's a bit schmucks you know, schmaltzy. I was like, okay, I guess so. I just I like I like the looking up. That was I think that was good where he almost died. That was enough for me. I didn't need to see him seventy years later. Also, if if he hadn't have stopped, do you think he would have just kept walking and like missed the bomb anyway? Probably. Because <laughs> he stops, looks up, and then the bomb starts to fall. It's and like he dives. Yeah, if you'd have just kept walking, you'd be fine. No, because it would have got shrapnel up their back, and okay. that's very okay. uncomfortable. All right, sure. So we ask each of our guests when they come on what their Time Lord name would be. Now, the Doctor picks the Doctor because it's do no harm and help people. It's anything that either emulates a word that emulates your essence, who you think you are, who or who you would like to be. Oh, boy. One of our uh, comedian friends, the decent, mm-hmm. because he wants to remind himself to be a decent human being. Um, he already is. We've got... The food wanker. She's she, she only adds, likes food that's been prepared by you know 
friendships? I would say that I've just recently taken one of the Myers-Briggs sort of short personality tests. And I'm, I'm the advocate and I really think it fits who I am. My advocacy often gets me into trouble. I love to advocate and that's not necessarily a great quality to have in a work setting. <laughs> I like to speak my mind. I like that. Yeah. So I would be the time. What, how, how is that referred to in the series? It's like the time Lord, um, the doctor. You just be the advocate. No, there's a, but there's a way they talk about it. The, the time Lord for, um, revengeful or something like oh, that. Yeah, the time, anyway. time Lord victorious. Yeah. Yes. The time Lord victorious. That's right. Mm. So I would be, um, the time, the time Lord, Lord advocational. Advocate. Yeah. Advocational. <laughs> okay. So before we ask Sam, we go in the TARDIS, we go on our adventure, we get out, uh, there's the nerd and the commander. What does the advocate bring to the adventure that we're having? What do I bring? Mm. I would take a look at everybody's feelings and needs <laughs> and try to get them to connect with each other. Okay, so we'd get the warring parties talking. That's right. It, it's something that the doctor doesn't always do is worry about other people's feelings. So, no, that's right. Yeah, you could just tell Adam to not be so pedantic and think about other people's feelings. <laughs> I'm sorry, feelings. That, that won't work. That won't work. I would be like, so I'm really hearing the family's need to live longer yeah. than three months. Maybe there are other strategies that we could try. Like, there are some trees that live a really long time. <laughs> I do I do like that. Okay, Sam, what's your Time Lord name? Oh, I don't know. You've had plenty of time to think about it. I'm thinking of thinking. I think, <laughs> I think I'd probably be like the shouter. I'm always being <laughs> way too loud. The shouter. And I also like when I get inspired, I speak as if I'm talking to like 3,000 people because I, I'm a – so I'm a climate change activist and I got to speak at the uh, the latest uh, School for Strike for Climate rally. And oh, awesome. the way uh, wow. everyone like, heard that, the way I spoke to those 3,000 people is the way I speak when I get passionate about anything. I'm just like screaming and I'm like pounding my fist and I'm just like, rah! It's like, I'm just like the, it's like, it's not like inspirational. It's just like pumping you up. It's like, you can, you can, like, could you be the passionate? Like a coach. Oh. Are you the passionate or are you the shouter? I don't know. I like the shouter. Yeah, yeah I like the shouter. Okay. I'm being really loud too. I'm just- okay, so Sam, we turn up in the TARDIS, the advocate, the nerd, the commander. It's a big adventure going on with the family. What does the shouter bring to the adventure? Do you know I performed in front of 3,000 people? <laughs> I would I'll get my team together, like, you know, like classic <laughs> huddle style. We'd be in a huddle, right? I love that you've got your squad already. Yeah, it's great. Except I'd be being way too loud for a huddle. And I would be like, and you're going to get them and you're going to take their guns off them because we will not stand for taking <laughs> the doctor. Well, let's hope they don't overhear our plans. Oh, oops. <laughs> but I like that. Yeah, I like that. You need somebody who's got that sort of passion to yell and get us going. So you're there to motivate us, get us into it. You know, because the doctors always kept their plan secret, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Totally. No, the doctor likes to share them. I, I, think, I think that's what that favourite moment is. You shouldn't have let me press all those buttons. <laughs> buttons, yeah. <laughs> 
Thanks so much. That's awesome. Thank you very much to The Advocate and The Shouter for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. It has. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have anything you would like to plug? Some improv classes will be coming up through Big Fork and Impro Mafia. So I'm a teaching artist. I teach improv and Shakespeare to adults and young people. And Sam's probably got another school strike for climate. In September, I want to plug that. That's my thing to yeah, plug. Yeah, off you go. Um, you should follow the School Strike Instagram. It's just School Strike for Climate. And the School Strike TikTok, because I'm on the School Strike TikTok, and you should follow the School Strike TikTok because you get to see me being cool. <laughs> and... Um, you know, not because climate change is an issue no, or something. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I was going to ask, what, what, is the, what does the climate change TikTok have? Because all I, and I know I'm, I'm a very old man, but all I know is a TikTok is just people doing silly dances. So I'm interested to know what, uh, how it's being used for, uh, for advocacy. Uh, so it's kind of just like promotion, just like our Instagram. We do like promote, we'll have videos like promoting our strikes using like popular sounds or whatever, or like videos of our strikes. I think our like most viral video is just like a video of some stickers that's like share if you think the government should take more action on climate change. And it has like 24.1k likes. So <laughs> well done. Well done. We need the, your generation getting into it because no one listens to you're, us. You're doing more than my generation did, that's for sure. So the Brisbane is School Strike for Climate. Well, it's Queensland's. Um, it's School Strike for Climate, QLD. It's also in the main School Strike for Climate. It's just a link. So it's just like look up School Strike for Climate on TikTok and Instagram. And if you want to go into our website, there is always stuff about what you can do, where you can donate, our partners, stuff like that. Um, and it's just like schoolstrikeforclimate.com.au. Awesome. Cool. You can catch the hosts on Facebook at Nakia Shoot Comedy and Adam O'Sullivan Comedian. D4WH is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. Nakia also hosts Neighbourhood Watching with Beck and Nick, looking at the weird and wacky neighbours just over the back fence. Available where all podcasts are. Adam regularly works with Big Fork Theatre in Brisbane. You can find him in some of the online shows on the Big Fork YouTube channel and also has sketches in the Get It In Ya podcast. If you enjoyed D4WH, please consider jumping onto our Patreon and donating. We release episodes early and for as little as $5 a month, we release mini episodes in between our normal episodes. D4WH is part of the Nerd Infinite, which can be found at thenerdinfinite.com. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. This has been so much fun to geek out with you all and with Sam. And until next time, keep searching the skies for the Doctor. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. This has been a production of The, the Nerd, Nerd Infinite. Infinite. And then the sound of dragons spitting fire and stuff. What? Why are you looking at me like that?